Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Morning, Harvest KL. I've been asked to introduce the guest preacher for today, but before I do that, I just want to let you know that you continue to be in Marie and my heart and mind constantly. We pray for you regularly. Uh, we long to one day see you face to face, but we're super uh, excited that even though we don't have that ability right now, that we continue to be in contact with so many of you and just want you to know we love you so much. Uh, today, uh, as you continue your series in the book of Philippians, uh, a guest speaker by the name of Brad Eaton will be preaching. Uh, Brad is a new friend of mine. Uh, he is now attending church at Mission Church here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in the USA. And uh, he has uh, been completing seminary as well as uh, currently in a preaching module that I am teaching here at the church. And so he's a student a student preacher and yet at the same time gifted and accomplished as well. Uh, he actually is married to his wife, Vanya, uh, who is from Brazil. And they spent most of 2020 in lockdown in Brazil. Uh, he learned Portuguese. Uh, he's preached in Portuguese, uh, very actively engaged in their church there. And so as an inter- international church, um, he is somebody is f- who is familiar uh, with living cross-culturally and having a multicultural marriage and all of those types of good things. On top of that, though, he really loves the Lord, and he's being used by the Lord to teach and preach God's Word. And so this morning, uh, we are going to invite him to come and deliver uh, the sermon to you here this morning. Hi, good morning, Harvest KL. I just want to say thank you to Pastor Nate for that introduction. And it's just such an honor to be able to bring God's Word to you today. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. And I think God has a word for us, a message for us today. And I hope that this is going to encourage your hearts. As Pastor Nate said, my name is Brad Eaton. I'm a seminary student. I'm about to finish seminary. And I don't know what the Lord's plans are, uh, perhaps international missions, but whatever the case may be, Uh, I know we might not get the chance to meet right now, but I I hope that we get to meet uh, sometime soon. But let's dig into God's Word and see what He has to say. You know, in just a couple weeks, millions of Christians around the world are going to celebrate the 504th anniversary of the nailing of the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. This was nailed by Martin Luther. And, And you may be wondering, you know, what is this all about? Why why do we have to be worried about what some guy 500 years ago nailed on some door in Germany? Well, this moment was the moment that sparked the Reformation. Now, you may or may not know much about the Reformation, but I just want to talk a little bit about this. Martin Luther, he was a monk. He was working for the Catholic Church But as he was digging more and more into God's word and learning more about what God had to say through the scriptures, he realized that there were some things that were really off about what the church was teaching. 
The church taught some things such as uh, salvation sort of by grace, but also by works. And if you didn't work well enough, then instead of going to heaven right away when you died, you'd, you'd go to purgatory, and then there you'd spend a whole, uh, a lot of time in, in purgatory, uh, unless you paid off uh, the church to get out of purgatory. This is called an indulgence. And there were other things as well that as he started digging into scripture, he realized, you know what, this, uh, this is not right. And so when he nailed those 95 theses on October 31st, 1517, what he was declaring was that he would stand on God's word alone as the basis for his faith. And from there, that sparked the Reformation. Now, why are we talking about this here? When we're in Philippians, we're learning about what Paul had to say to the Philippian church and, and what that means for us today. Well, I think it's because Martin Luther, he stood on God's word to advance the gospel. And as we look at this passage in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 30, we're going to see that Paul has the same attitude that Paul is so concerned about advancing the gospel that he will give everything for that, whether by life or by death. The Reformation was the recapturing of this gospel. That's why it's important for us today. If you don't know a lot about the Reformation, I want to encourage you to learn more about it, study it. It's really important. Our church today wouldn't be the same without the Reformation. But today I want to ask you a question. Are you committed to advancing the gospel? Are you committed with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength to pushing the gospel forward through your life? I think what we're going to see today in this passage is that Paul is showing us three ways that we can advance the gospel through our lives, whether we live or we die through sharing our faith. So let's open up God's word to Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 to 30. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV here. And we're going to start in the middle of verse 18, which says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and that now here that I still have. So today we're going to see the three ways that Paul is going to show us how we can advance the gospel. So to advance the gospel, we're going to see that we are to exalt the name of Christ no matter our situation. The second thing to advance the gospel is that we are to fulfill God's purpose for us in life and in death. And the third way to advance the gospel is that we are to maintain a faithful and united testimony to the glory of God. So let's look at the first way. To advance the gospel, we are to exalt the name of Christ no matter our situation. Well, if we look at verses 18 to 20 here, we're going to see something very interesting. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. If we remember Brother Larry's sermon from last week, he was talking about how Paul was rejoicing even though people were preaching Christ from a bad motivation, right? Their heart attitude wasn't very good. But he could rejoice because they were preaching the true gospel. That was what he, he was rejoicing over. But he continues. Now, re remember the context here. Paul is in prison. And he is in prison. He's saying, I am rejoicing. I think that's something very crazy for us to think about being able to rejoice while in prison. But he's rejoicing. And he's rejoicing why? Because he knows that whether he dies or he lives, his purpose of being in prison is to exalt the name of Christ. And something really interesting here, he's rejoicing why? Because he knows that the gospel is true. Now, now what is the gospel? Well, let's just remember the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the prophesied Messiah from the Old Testament. That he lived a sinless life as the divine son of God. He died for our sins on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And he will establish his kingdom. He will reign forever. And, and here's our part. For those who embrace this message and repent of our sins, you will receive forgiveness of your sins. You can taste eternal life with Jesus Christ, with God forever by embracing this message. This is the message that Paul believes. This is the message that is the foundation of his life. And so he can be in prison and he can rejoice. Now he says, through your prayers and through the Spirit, he knows that he will be delivered. Well, what, what will he be delivered from? Well, if he gets out of prison and continues living, he'll be delivered from this temporal circumstance of being in prison and he can continue the work of the Lord. But if he dies as a result of being in prison, he will be delivered from this sinful earth and he will be reigning with Jesus Christ. So he knows that no matter the situation, he will be delivered. And as he says, 
Christ will be honored through life or through death. You see, Paul here, he has the right attitude. His attitude is that which no matter what situation he's confronting, he's going to exalt the name of Christ through his life and through his death. In other words, he shows how his attitude in a difficult situation is the very attitude that advances the gospel. Now, I've got a friend, a brother in Christ from one of our sister churches in Texas. His name is Ismael, and he recently wrote a testimony. He said that about two years ago, pastor of our church in Texas, uh, he, he preached something and he said, you know what, you, you may experience very difficult situations in your life. And he said, this is the thing that I like to say. I don't know why, but I know God. Well, little would Ismael and his family realize that for the next two years, the Lord would have very difficult challenges for their lives. In January of 2020, his daughter was diagnosed with a very severe and a very grave illness that could have led to her death. In that moment, he said, I don't know why, but I know God. A year later, in January of 2021, his dear brother was diagnosed with COVID and he died. And in that moment, he said, Lord, I don't know why, but I know God. In April of 2021, he said there were some spiritual attacks on his marriage. And he said, I don't know why, but I know God. And in July 2021, his wife became pregnant. And he said this, he said, I felt old and not ready to change diapers again. But he said, I don't know why, but I know God. And then in August of 2021, his wife miscarried. They lost the baby. And he said, I don't know why, but I know God. I would think that for, for many of us, having so many tragedies, so much suffering in a short amount of time would break us. But I want to show you how Ismael's attitude advanced the gospel. He said this, God is showing us that everything in this world is temporary. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How can I not find comfort in a God who gave his son for us? He has been faithful through it all, and we will continue to give God glory in death and in life. Only he can be our comfort. I don't know why, but I know God. I'll tell you, that's the kind of attitude that exalts Christ amid difficult circumstances. Here's the thing. I believe that Paul's attitude demonstrates a great example on how we can exalt Christ in whatever circumstance God allows in our lives. You know, most of us are probably not going to go to prison for our faith. It could happen but we probably aren't gonna to go to prison like Paul. But I think we can all relate to Ismael's story. We all have sufferings, tragedies, difficulties that come across our lives. I think we can relate to him. What situations are you facing today? 
What difficulties are you facing? Do you find it easy or do you find it difficult to exalt Christ in those moments? How could you in this moment, in those moments of difficulties, exalt Christ more? How can you have that attitude where it's like, you know what? I don't know God. I, I don't know why, but I know God. I want to encourage you. You can believe the gospel. You can trust the gospel. You can have confidence in the gospel. Let that help you to exalt Christ no matter the circumstance that you're in. But here's the thing, not only does Paul's example of exalting Christ in a difficult circumstance show us how to advance the gospel, but he also shows us how to uh, advance the gospel through fulfilling God's purpose for you in life and death. So as he says here, in verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm pretty sure we all know this verse very well. We can all unpack this verse and say, yeah, like to live is about advancing the gospel, living for Christ. And then when we die, we're going to gain our profit, our reward, our eternal reward for our faith. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Here's what's so interesting about this passage. You can tell that Paul is wrestling with this. He says, he says here, if, if I'm to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. But I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. And yet, I don't know which one to choose. He's wrestling with this, uh, with this situation. The thing is, Paul, he longs to be with Jesus. He knows that that's ultimately the, the goal of our lives as Christians is to be with Jesus forever. But by the same token, he's longing to be with the people of God, to encourage them. To live as Christ, what is this? Well, in verse 22, it says, it is fruitful labor. In verses 24 to 26, it's fruitful service to the Philippians. He says, it is necessary for me to go to you. Because this is what gives glory to Christ. So, so living our lives, even when we have difficulties, even if we are in prison, whatever the situation may be, the purpose is to serve God's people here on earth, using whatever the Lord has given us to do that. But then he says this, which is shocking for us, to die is gain. He says in verse 23, it is far better to die. Now, that's a pretty strange thing to say. I, I think even for Christians, sometimes we struggle with this idea of dying. It's like we know it's coming. Everyone knows it's coming, but we still struggle. We, we want to be here. We're enjoying God's kingdom, his creation here. But he's saying it's far better to be dead because being dead means being with Jesus Christ. This is the thing that's unique to Christianity is that you, Christian, you don't have to fear death. Death is your reward. Our end goal is to be with Christ. And for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, Rest assured, you will be with Him forever. 
This is what we call the assurance of salvation for those who have been saved. You will be saved at the end. You can rest in that truth. Here, Paul knows that his death will mean perfect and total communion with the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, forever. And this brings glory to God. This advances the gospel. He knows that in his death, the gospel will be advanced. So back in the early 90s, there was a Christian from Iran. And this Christian, his name was Mehdi Debaj. And he grew up Muslim, but he became a Christian. And he professed his faith, and he went on trial for professing his faith. And he said something that I think really, he really understood this passage. He said this. He said, Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he is the Son of God. To know him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner, have believed in his beloved person. And all his words and miracles recorded in the Gospels. And I have committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him. And death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I'm ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus, my Lord. Now, he was eventually released, and seven months after released, he was found dead in a park, martyred for his faith. What are we to make of Paul's example? What are we to make of this Iranian Christian man's example, our brother in Christ? How are we to emulate this example? Well, I think what Paul is saying is that your life is to be totally committed to advancing the gospel. This doesn't mean that everyone has to become a pastor. This doesn't mean everyone has to become a full-time missionary or a full-time worker for the ministry. But what it means is that every priority in your life is prioritized based on kingdom values, based on the values of advancing the gospel, whether it's through your testimony, whether it's through opening your mouth to share the gospel, whatever the case may be, those priorities become reprioritized when you become a Christian. You see, we have this great exchange in the gospel. See, your sinfulness was given to Christ on the cross. And Jesus' righteousness was given to you. You were restored back to the way things should have been before the fall. That is the great exchange. And with this exchange, your purpose in life has also been changed. You used to pursue your sinful desires, but now you pursue the things of Christ. It may seem sometimes like you're fighting physical battles, you're, you're working hard, you're trying to provide for your family, you're trying to raise your children. Maybe you're not married yet, but you would like to be married. What, whatever your situation may be, you may think there are uh, so many physical challenges that you face, but I think our ultimate challenges are not physical challenges. They're challenges spiritual. 
about how we advance the gospel. Where is God calling you to share your faith? Are you struggling to share your faith with others? Are you struggling to to live out the gospel and put the gospel on display? Where is God calling you today to display the gospel in your life? To speak the gospel to those whom the Lord puts on your path? My professor of evangelism said that in, in the morning, he just asks God to make him aware of the opportunities that he's presenting, that he would uh, that, that he would be obedient to those opportunities and that he would open up his mouth and preach the gospel to those who the Lord puts in their path and to recognize when those opportunities come. I think there's many ways that we can really put our faith to practice, to advance the gospel, and I think that's really what Paul is calling us to do in this part. So the thing is, Paul has shown us how to advance the gospel through exalting Christ no matter our circumstances. He's also called us and shown us how to fulfill our purpose by advancing the gospel through our lives, whether in life or by death. But here, he transitions from showing us through his own life to a direct command to the Philippians. To advance the gospel, he says this, maintain a faithful and united testimony. So here we are at verse 27. And what we can tell here is that Paul is, is, he's always interested in the faithful testimony of the church. He's like, you know what, when we get doctrine right, when we have the base of the gospel right, then all we need to focus on is our testimony. Like we need to walk worthy. And so he says here in, uh, in, in the Bible, he's like, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, there's other versions of, of the Bible, other translations into English. Uh, other versions will say it like this, conduct yourselves in a worthy manner. There's another version that says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy. Yeah, wait, well, where does that come from? Where does this idea of citizens come from? Was that just sort of added in? Well, actually, the word that's translated as live your life worthy, the word that's translated as conduct yourselves in a worthy manner, has this idea of citizenship. It's the idea that you are no longer just a citizen of the world, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so with that, you now have a new way to represent that kingdom on earth. You're no longer of this earth anymore. You are of the kingdom of God. And Paul is showing through the use of this word that this is how it is to drive our purpose, drive our testimony here. He uses this word in one other place in the book of Acts. So Luke is the author of Acts, but he's talking about Paul uh, speaking here. And Paul says this, looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. You know that Paul, he could say that to the people. He could say, I have lived my life. I have lived worthy. So here he's using the same word, live your life worthy as a citizen of heaven. Live your life worthy. 
What does it mean to conduct or live your life in a worthy manner? Well, Paul, he continues. He says, Whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What's he talking about? He's talking about the unity of the church. Paul is concerned about the unity. He's concerned about the faithfulness and the unity of the church. Standing firm in one spirit, what's, what's that about? It's sort of got this idea of a military. Militaries don't work well when you have individuals doing their own thing. But he's saying, no, standing firm together. The battle you're fighting is spiritual. As you stand firm together, united in the faith, you can fight this battle on earth. You can advance the gospel through your unity. He says, with one mind striving side by side, we need to be united for the gospel. He continues, he says, not being frightened by your opponents. And he says something very strange. This is a, a clear sign to them, the opponents, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. What's he saying here? What he's saying is that the very fact that people are opposing you means that they are also opposing Christ. And that's the fact that shows that they will be ultimately destroyed. And that is your salvation because you are standing firm. Because you are united with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He continues and he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you would not only believe but also suffer for his sake. Suffering is just a part of the Christian life. That's why as, as he's suffering in prison, he's saying, no, I rejoice. This is just part of God's plan. We're going to suffer. Why? Because we're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Why is Paul concerned with unity? Well, earlier in the chapter, as we saw last week, he's already experienced some disunity. People preaching, they might be preaching the true gospel, but they're preaching the true gospel from a bad motive. In Philippians chapter 2, you're going to see next week that he calls the Philippians to be united through humility. In Philippians chapter 4, he's going to talk about Euodia and Syntyche, two leading women of the church who are fighting and bickering. And he's going to call them to resolve their conflict and be unified. But also we can look at his other letters. By this point in time in the history of Paul, he's already written to the church in Corinth. It's been about six, seven years since he's written the letter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 13, he talks about how people are, are saying, Oh, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul, I follow Jesus. And he says, is Christ divided? And he says, no, Christ is not divided. Be unified in one spirit. And so here he is, a few years later, and some of the same problems 
are happening inside the church in Philippi. And he says, be united. Let your testimony be a testimony both to me and to this world that you are united for Christ. See, Paul knew that you're either in Christ, you have either received forgiveness of sins or you haven't. You are outside of Christ. There's only two paths that we can walk. And he's saying if you are in Christ, you need to be united. There's no other way. What would the testimony of the church be when churches just bicker and argue uh, time and time again? Now, I know in my own personal example, when I first became a Christian, I, I had this, this zeal. I, I wanted to just tell people all the truths that I had learned, but I sort of wandered beyond just the gospel, and I started uh, talking about all kinds of other doctrines. Oh, this doctrine, you got to do it this way. You got to do this that way, or, or maybe you're not a Christian if you don't do this or that. And the problem is that that really didn't create a unified spirit with other Christians. The reality is we have many kinds of churches that may do certain things differently than others. But as I grew and I learned more about what it is we are to be united upon, it's helped me to sort of put off those secondary issues and really focus on being unified on the primary issues. You know, sometimes we can argue about baptism, right? What, what kind of baptism is the right baptism? Is infant baptism correct? Is, is believer's baptism correct? You know, we could argue about whether the earth is like really old or maybe really young. We can argue about those things. We can also argue about whether we should be speaking in tongues or not speaking in tongues. And the list goes on and on. There's so many opportunities where we can be disunified. But Paul is saying be unified. But what, what does he want us to be unified on? See, instead of spending our time arguing about those secondary issues, they may be important. They may affect what specific church you go to. They may affect certain aspects of your life, but wouldn't it be better to focus on the foundation of the gospel, to advance the gospel of Christ? And wouldn't that help us to provide a united front for Christ? We don't have to agree on everything, but we do have to agree on the foundation. And first is that we have a God, that He speaks, and that he has spoken through the scriptures. I think that's a pretty important foundation. That we have one God who is in three persons, which is called the Trinity. That's a pretty important thing. And if we go back to the Reformation, which I talked about at the beginning, there is this concept called the five solas of the Reformation. If you haven't heard about it, Basically, what the idea is, is these are the five things that these alone provide the foundation of our faith. The first one is that the scriptures alone are God's only inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church. It's, it's not the church tradition. It's not your favorite pastor. It's not your favorite commentator. It's simply the scriptures alone as we have them today are the only sufficient, inerrant, and final authority for the church. 
too. It's that the work of Christ alone is the basis whereby sinners are justified. We are not justified based on our works. Our works are like filthy rags, but rather it's the work of Christ on the cross that is the basis of our justification. Three is that we are justified by faith alone in order to receive redemption. Four, it's that this faith comes by grace alone. It is a gift, a free gift from God. It's not based on works. And the fifth sola of the Reformation is that all of this happens to the glory of God alone. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we can agree on these things, the scriptures, Christ, faith, grace, the glory of God, then we can have a united front. We can put aside all of those things that are separating us, that may cause us to bicker like what was happening in the Philippian church. We may disagree on other doctrines, but this can provide the basis for our unity so that we can go out to the world, so that we can advance the gospel of God to the glory of God. We can advance Christ. We can exalt Christ with our lives because we're unified. We're going to see as the rest of the letter to the Philippians unfolds how important unity is, is in the church. And Paul's going to address various issues I just want to ask you as we continue going through Philippians that you would uh, be open to hearing about these things, that you would open up your heart, that you would be united in one spirit, standing firm to advance the gospel of Christ. Because when we have unity in the church, we will advance the gospel like nothing else. As we close today, I know that we all want to be committed to advancing the gospel. I know if I were to ask you, are you committed to advancing the gospel? You'll probably say, yes, of course I'm committed. But are the characteristics and attitudes that we've talked about today, are they true in your life? Do you exalt Christ no matter what circumstance comes in your life, or, or do you find it hard to do that? Do you live out your purpose with this mindset of knowing that whether by life or by death, Christ will be exalted and the gospel will advance? Do you maintain a faithful and united testimony with your other brothers and sisters in Christ to advance the gospel? I want you to think about for a moment here. What do you need to do? What do you need to change? How do you need to be more committed to advancing the gospel? Do you need to change your attitude? Maybe use the suffering that the Lord is allowing in your life to display the gospel. Maybe in your life you need to reprioritize the things in your life. Maybe, maybe you're a little too focused on the things of the world and you just need to step back and reprioritize on the things of God. Maybe you need to have a different attitude towards Christians who think differently than you. Maybe there's other churches in Malaysia that 
that you're you're not so aligned with on certain things, but but maybe you're actually more aligned than you think on the the foundation of the gospel. Remember this theme, the theme of of the church for this year. Rise, let us go from here. Like like Martin Luther, right? He he rose to advance the gospel. I think that's what Paul is calling us to do. Rise, let us go. Advance the gospel. What can you do this week to change? Maybe, maybe this week you need to stop questioning why you have suffering in your life. Why, God, why is it like this? And just say, Lord, you know what? I exalt you even with this suffering. Maybe you need to continue praying on behalf of other believers to advance the gospel. Maybe you just need to start sharing the gospel with your neighbor. What can you do this week? Will you do that? Will you focus on these things this week? Just make one change to advance the gospel, to reprioritize your life. Wherever you are, would you pray? Would you pray? Would you ask God to help you make these changes? That you would ask God to help you exalt him. And that you would ask God to help you advance the gospel every day of your life. Let us pray. Father, God, I, I, I just want to thank you. Lord, you, you've inspired Paul to write these words. You have this message for us. And we know, Lord, that you've given him this desire to advance the gospel, Lord. Oh, I plead with you. Would you allow that to be our attitude? For all the people who are going to hear this message, that, that we, including myself, that we would embrace this message, that, that we would dedicate our lives in life and in death to advance the gospel at every moment. Lord, we don't know how many days, weeks, months, or years you are allowing for us to live, but let all of those days be days where we advance the gospel to the glory of God. Amen.